go hand in hand. Faith in Christ will evidence itself in works for or on behalf of Christ. So we're just going to jump right in. If you're there, let's take and turn our attention. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, beginning here in the very first verse. Now concerning the collection for the saints... As I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. Now listen, I want to prepare you in advance so as our time ebbs forward, you're not worried about it. We're going to spend the lion's share of our time right here in these first couple of verses of chapter 16. When Paul says, now concerning the collection for the saints... What that means is that he's replying to a question that was brought to him on behalf of the Christians in Corinth. No different than in chapter 7 or in chapter 8 or in chapter 12. And this particular collection that he's referring to was an offering that he was taking to the church in Jerusalem to be distributed to the poor and needy among them as the leadership in that church deemed appropriate. And it was actually a united effort to help the poor Christians in Jerusalem among several of the different churches that Paul had founded. And you can read of that in numerous places in the book of Acts and in Romans and again in 2 Corinthians. But the question is, why, why was the church in Jerusalem in such need? Well, for one thing, when you read through the book of Acts, you discover that the church in Jerusalem was supporting a large number of widows. Okay, it's in Acts chapter 6. And when they supported a large number of widows, it didn't mean that uh, you know, they helped with an occasional electric bill or something like that, but that they were the life sustenance. I mean, apart from how the church would support them, they would have nothing. So basically, everything that they had, they were receiving from the benevolence of the church. On top of that, uh, they were, Jerusalem at that time was in the midst, you know, and the surrounding areas of, of a devastating famine. And you discover that in Acts chapter 11. Now you add to that that this was at a point historically whereby persecution was beginning to rise rather you know, uh, severely, people losing their jobs, their livelihoods. Listen, it cost them to lead a life set apart to Jesus Christ. And Paul had a burden to bring together the, the Jewish and Gentile churches. Guys, let's remind ourselves that before Jesus, through the blood of his cross, made it clear that in him there was neither Jew nor Gentile, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, that were all one in him. Prior to that, there was a very real mentality in the mind of the Jews that the Gentiles were somehow beneath them. They were second, maybe third, maybe fourth rate and, and follow. After all, you know, matter of fact, there was a very common mentality that God had created the Gentiles in reality, nothing more than to stoke the fires of hell. And uh, after all, God had not chosen them. He had chosen the Jews. Uh, God had entrusted his word, his law to the Jews. Now, listen, that mentality wasn't right. And nor was it, was it justified uh, in Scripture, 
but it existed nonetheless. And so there was a real struggle initially as the church was born there in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost in accepting the Gentiles uh, on equal ground, the, the Gentile churches. And Paul had this heart to want to see that made right. And this was an opportunity that he saw that could help accomplish that. It was just a way for the Gentile churches to love on, to show support and appreciation for their Jewish brothers and sisters in this real, tangible way. And in so doing, the, the, the hope behind the heart of the apostle was to you know, build bridges that would help bring them together. Not to mention, guys, the Bible teaches that by whom we've been blessed spiritually, we have an obligation or a duty to support them materially. Now, you might write it down. You can look it up later. It's in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 6. Or you can go back to the first 12 verses of the ninth chapter of this book. Paul talks about all of that. Those who help us in a spiritual kind of you know, eternal way, we support them, we help them in a material, temporary kind of way. Hey, that's a fair trade. If you'll help me eternally, I'll be, I mean, the, the helping you kind of temporarily is the least thing I could do, you know, kind of a thing. But in the book of Romans, he wrote and he said, but now, and this is in regard to this offering, this collection that he's receiving, he says, I'm going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. For it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia, however you say, uh, to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. It pleased them indeed. And they are, notice, their debtors. Why? For if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, notice, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. You see, the gospel had come to them having gone out from Jerusalem. It was only appropriate that they show support in time of need to the church in Jerusalem. Okay, a couple things we want to note about the collection. Number one, if you're with me here, I want you to look in verse one. He, he speaks of the orders, notice orders, that he's given to the churches of Galatia and that it's something that they too, well the words are, must do. The idea is that this really isn't optional. Now he's going to develop that a little farther in a minute, but he wasn't going to allow, they had to have this opportunity given for the body to contribute to the needs that he was receiving for. He didn't want to allow the church to take this kind of pseudo spiritual position that they weren't going to really give or offer anything materially, but you know, maybe they would pray for the church in Jerusalem or whatever the case may be. You know, uh, in place of any practical help, I've offered you this prayer. It's like, wait, you know what? No, we're, we're not going to go there, he's essentially saying, you guys need to put your money where your mouth is. Now, whether or not each individual gives, and we're going to kind of spend a little time on that as well, but that's between them and the Lord, but he's saying, but before the Lord, you better give the opportunity for people to be a part of this. Now, again, guys, we're going to spend time here. Um, it may make you uncomfortable, that's okay, but let me say this just from the get-go. No one can ever 
obligate you. I want you to understand that. No one can ever obligate you to ever even give, you know, a single cent to the church, you know, to the Lord in that regard, through the church, whatever. But we're going to discover that it's God's heart that every believer gives in some manner. If you're a working individual, you know, you receive income of some kind. God desires that we honor him to the extent that he has entrusted us with whatever amount. Now, let me also say this. What's in view here in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 is really, it's like an extra collection, okay? Paul isn't even speaking of the supporting of their local assembly. That's like the given in the text. What he's talking about here is like, almost like, I wouldn't call it missions opportunity, but reconciliation, operation reconciliation kind of a thing, wanting to build this bridge, these inroads to their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. But what he's talking about here, guys, goes really, we would call it not a tithe, we would call it an offering. It goes above and beyond their normal kind of contributions. And so when he puts these principles in place regarding this extra collection, this offering of sorts, how much more in in regard to the ministry which God had called them to be a part of, you know, personally. So, you know, look at verse 2. He says, on the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collection when I come. Well, I want you to notice the principles that Paul puts in place that pertain to our giving. Number one, he says, on the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside. Now, the idea here, guys, if you're a note taker, that margin etcher, whatever the case may be, is that our giving is to be, well, the word is that we're going to kind of use to get a grip on it is systematic. Our giving is to be systematic. It's not to be random, it's not to be haphazard, or just, you know, whenever it crosses my mind, however I may feel, whenever I may feel it, he's telling us that we should be in the habit of giving weekly when we come to church. Now, the early church gathered, not on Saturday, but on Sunday. Why? Because that's the day that Jesus rose from the dead. And so they chose to, now look, some people esteem one day above another, others see every day alike. I'm more of that kind of guy. Every day's a day we should worship and honor the Lord, not just one day a week, every day of the week. But because the Lord rose on Sunday, that's kind of when they gathered and they honored the Lord in that capacity as they went through the word and worshiped collectively. And Paul is saying, and here's kind of the phrase, guys, that kind of helps us, that our giving should be connected to our gathering, okay? Our giving is connected to our gathering. Whenever they gathered together for worship and the study of God's word, Paul commanded them. He said, I've given orders in Galatia. This is something that you too must do. Receive an offering during that same time. Give the people an opportunity to contribute to the work of the Lord as you worship the Lord, okay? And listen, I don't think that his point was to bind us legalistically and say, you know, you need to parse your paycheck so that you have something each Sunday, kind of a thing. Look, if I get paid on the 1st and the 15th, or whatever, 
then when I come to church, I should be prepared to give on the week of the 1st and the 15th. You get the idea, right? Uh, He's simply saying that we should be in the habit of giving systematically as opposed to randomly, just kind of whenever I think about it. Remember, we talked a couple weeks ago about the principle of first fruits, and we honor God first. And this is kind of that same mentality. Now, what else do we learn in verse 2? Who was it specifically to whom Paul applied this principle of giving? Do you see it there? Was it those believers who are rich and can afford it more readily? No. He says, guys, underline it. Let each one of you lay something, something aside. Now, guys, I'm going to let you off the hook here, okay? I'm going to let you off the hook with respect to how much you should be giving or what amount you should be giving, though I do believe that I can create a compelling case for the tithe, which just means a tenth, uh, because people are like, well, no, that's connected to the law. No, 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 no. In reality, it preceded the law. It was in place before the law ever was. The principle was brought into place in the law. Jesus talked about it and affirmed it in the Gospels as well. But listen, uh, and and honestly, even at that, uh, the 10th, the tithe, would just be God's portion, right? That's his portion. It's not an offering. So this is Paul's talking about beyond that, the offering, the collection that he's taking. But that's a study for another time. What I will tell you, so I'm not going to tell you how much, but what I am going to tell you guys without hesitation, and listen, I know, like I said, I will apologize for how the quote-unquote mainstream, or however you want to say historically, traditionally, the church has perhaps tried to take advantage of the good nature of the people of God and tried to make merchandise of the people of God, but we can't ignore the principles of the Word of God. If we are the people of God and we want to honor God, okay? So we talk about what the Bible says. But what I'm going to tell you is that if you claim to be a Christian, without hesitation, in some measure, you should be a giver. Okay? If you're not a giver, and you've walked with the Lord, guys, for any amount of time, I mean, you know, what, six months, a year? Look, I'll even give you a year and a half. I'll give you two years. If you've walked with the Lord for a couple of years, and... uh, and you're not a giver, then something is out of step, out of sync in your Christian life. Why so? Well, because God is a giver, and God dwells in you. Family, we serve, unequivocally, we serve a giving God. Okay? And... As we are transformed from glory to greater glory, as by the Spirit of the Lord, into the image of Jesus Christ, we will be givers as well. Now follow me here. In 1 Peter we read, But as He, that is God, who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct because it is written, be holy for I am holy. Now listen, you understand the principle, right? He could have just as easily and just as justifiably said, be 
righteous, for I am righteous. Couldn't he? He could have said, be loving, for I am loving. He could have said, be gracious, or be merciful. Or our word in view here is giving. Guys, the point found in the principle is this, that as he is, as God is, so we should be. If God is in you, then his likeness, those characteristics, those attributes should increasingly, over time, be shining through you. Does that make sense? If God is in you, then his attributes should increasingly, as you grow over time, be shining through you. And ladies and gentlemen, you can search the scriptures till you're blue in the face, But at the end of the day, there's just no getting around the fact that we serve a graciously giving God. What do we have but that God has not graciously, generously given it to us? He's a generous God. Should we fear being overly generous in our uh, giving? No, listen, what farmer worries about sowing too much seed. I mean, he knows the more he sows, the more he's going to reap. And this is what Paul was talking about. And again, you can just write it down so you can read it later. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 8, you can sow sparingly and reap sparingly, or you can sow bountifully and reap bountifully. The choice is completely up to you. Now the Proverbs put it like this. There is one who scatters, yet increases more. There he is, he's out there, he's sowing the seed, he's just going for it. But then there's one who withholds more than what is right. At the end of the day, he's still got plenty left in his pouch, he hasn't really sown it, but it leads to poverty. There's no yield, there's no return, right? If you don't sow the seed, there's no return on the seed. Does that make sense? Now listen, please don't twist the analogy you know, into some seed faith kind of uh, theology as though giving to God is an investment program. And if you give to God $100, how many times you heard that one, right? You just give God $100 and $10,000 is going to come back to you, you know, 100-fold, 200 whatever. It's an egregious misuse and abuse of Scripture. People should be ashamed of that. That's what I'm talking about, this, this abuse, this misuse, this making merchandise of the people of God. Listen, God is searching your heart. It's not, we've talked about this many, many times. It's not nearly as much about the what as it is about the why? Why am I doing what, am, what I'm doing? And if you give to get, can I just tell you, you ain't, you ain't ever going to get. Uh, and, and I want you to realize this, guys. Giving at its core should be sacrificial, not self-serving. Does that make sense? Like, ooh, if I give this, I'm going to get that. That's self-serving mentality. That's not, how does that honor God? I'm thinking about myself and how this serves me. But you remember David was like, look, I refuse to give to God with that which costs me nothing. 
It was going to be sacrificial. You remember there he was, and he was going through the land, and he, you know, and, and he came across the threshing floor of Ornan, and, and the, the Lord had told him to make a sacrifice, and it would end the plague, and you can go back and look all this up, and Ornan's out there, and he's like, hey, how much for your, for your threshing floor? And he's like, oh my goodness, this is the king of Israel. What an honor that you would want anything that I could offer to you. You can have it, man, just take it. I'd be blessed by it. David's like, no, no, I want to buy it at full price because I will not give to God with that which costs me nothing. Because if it costs me nothing, it means nothing. There's no true sacrifice involved. It should come from the heart. But the point is, you know, there is one who scatters and increases more and, and all of that, is that you can't outgive God. God will be a debtor to no man. Don't be like, God, I gave you all this. You owe me all that. You know, it ain't going to work like that. Jesus said, give and it will be given to you. Notice, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure you use, it'll be measured back to you. Well, wait. How did Paul say that? You can sow sparingly and reap sparingly, or you can sow bountifully and reap bountifully. It will be measured back to you in, 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 same, in the same way. Now, of course, the form in which God gives back to you may not always be material. You understand that, right? I mean, it could be. Maybe, maybe uh, you know, you'll come across some radical bounty or business opportunity. It'll bless you. It'll enrich you material. That's great. You know, whatever. But it could be spiritual, not material. Could be physical. It may be, and I think most, most generally, it may be a reward that awaits you in the eternal. Hey, listen, you serve a good God. And here's the thing, man. I mean, I, I'm grateful for every material blessing, every physical blessing, every spiritual blessing, every emotional kind of peace, give, whatever, it, however God wants to bless. But how many times I believe the Lord's like, you know, that was, that was awesome. I'm, I'm going to save that one to serve him forever. You know what I'm saying? Like he could give you a little something and it would serve you now or because he's good and he loves you and he's thinking about the eternal investment for you, he's gonna store up some radical something for you that's gonna bless your socks off forever. I mean, I wanna get in that line, you know. But the point is plain. The, The more that you give, like the farmer with the seed, the more that you will, guys, ultimately, eternally gain. It's just a simple biblical principle, and God searches our heart concerning that. So we're learning biblical principles on giving. Number one, it should be systematic. Uh, We should be, and what I mean by that is we should be intentional, worshipful in, uh, honoring the Lord with our giving. Guys, I hope that when you give, it's not just like, well, you know, whatever, whatever. But it's, it's, it's coming from the heart. It's the worship of your heart. The well-pleasing sacrifice that Paul spoke of in the book of Philippians. You know, to the Lord. Uh, it should come from the heart. Number two, it's something that each of us should be about. And as a sub-point, it should be sacrificial, not self-serving. Again, the motive of the heart. 
And at the risk of sounding harsh, and guys, I'm just being straight with you today. I hope that's okay. Um, but uh, if we're not giving, and, and, and look, I hope you know my heart. My heart's not to be harsh. This may sound harsh, but that's not my heart. My heart's just to be open and transparent, give you some food for thought. That's what God has called me to do, yeah? Okay. If we're not giving, not only do we rob God, right? Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 through 11, will a man rob God? Will you say, how have I robbed you? And he talks about how the, the tithe is to come into the storehouse, the place where you're being fed, this and that. But not only do we, we rob God, we rob our brothers and sisters in the body as well. You say, well, how so? Well, listen, when I don't give in any capacity, I'm essentially saying, hey, I'm good with others bearing the load, bearing the weight of responsibility while I receive the benefits personally. You know, I come, I enjoy the climate control, I enjoy the soft seats, the nice sound, the fact that someone was able to spend the time uh, 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 during the week in study and in prayer, you know, all at the expense of everyone else. Uh, and, And guys, honestly, that's the least of it. I'm missing out on the blessing of investing in the interests of the kingdom. You know, people being saved. These are the eternal dividends that ultimately come back to your account. People being saved, uh, discipled, outreach, missions, you know, supplying for the ministries that serve the children or the grounds or the ladies or the men or just all of these kinds of things that could be earning. Again, God searching the heart you give to the Lord to honor the Lord, but the Lord will honor that and will serve those eternal dividends you know, to your account. But nah, I'm good just to come, absorb off the faithfulness of others, and leave. Now, perhaps you've not thought of it like that, and I'm not throwing stones, but guys, these are things to think about. And we should think about it. We should pray about it. We should be prepared in advance. Did you see what he said there in verse 2? This idea of laying something aside and storing up is that of a predetermined, premeditated, perhaps prayed over amount. Guys, don't just come to church and give whatever strikes you in the moment. Oh, here comes that time again. They're saying we're going to receive the tithe and the offering. What should I get? I don't know. I mean, uh, you quick search or whatever, and you just kind of give whatever strikes you in the moment. Don't do that. Listen, seek the Lord in your giving. And if you're prepared in advance then you won't be subject to some smooth-talking, heart-string-yanking individual who may be manipulating you one way or another. You've already thought it out. You've already prayed it over. You've already allowed the Lord to purpose in your heart, you see. Now, if if you're at a loss... And you're like, well, I, I, you know, I do want to be about, I'm really not sure how much, and you've said you're going to let us off the hook. Again, seek the Lord, but even with how much, like, okay, so what, what is the, look, Paul even gives us a rule of thumb with that right here. He says, it's to be proportionate, that is, in keeping with your income. He says, storing up as he may prosper. Those who have more, should give more. Those who have less will give less. You know, but it should be proportionate. 
nonetheless. Now again, if, and I'm just throwing it out there, not trying to compel anybody, but if that portion is 10%, okay, then if I make $100, I'll give 10. If I make $1,000 this week, I give 100. But you see, we're each participating equally. We're all sharing the load, you see, and, and propelling the ministry as God would have us to. Now, if anyone wants to give more, they can. If they want to be generous and, and all, that's between them and the Lord. But as the Lord gives us more, then we should give more. In other words, if I give $10 a week when I make 100 a week, but over the years, now I've come to a place where I make $1,000 a week, but I'm still only giving $10 a week, then something is wrong. Something is amiss. Too often, people come to the place where they start making more, but then they extend their debt more, and the ministry suffers, right? But as the saying goes, when your outgo exceeds your income, then your upkeep is your downfall. (laughs) But here's the point. An open heart can't maintain a closed fist or a closed hand. So principles in giving. Systematic, it applies to each of us. It's prayerfully premeditated. It's proportionate. Now, having said all of that, If at the end of the day, okay, you cannot give willfully or, you know, cheerfully, that is with joy out of the overflow of your love for God from the heart, can I just say this? It's best to just not give. Just don't even worry about it. Don't feel, in other words, if you're going to be like, well, all right, but you're kind of disgruntled about it, don't do it. It's really okay. God loves 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 7, a cheerful giver. And as for me, I want God to honor what you give to him. And if you're giving begrudgingly or disgruntled and all that, God's not going to honor that. Don't do that. Just give what you can give with joy. God, I love you. I just want to honor you. And, and you know, here is, is the worship that I'm extending to you in this practical, tangible way. And so that Paul couldn't be accused of manipulating anyone or a high-pressure fundraising program, he says, and when I get there, we're going to lay that routine aside. We're not going to receive a collection. Just have it ready in advance, okay? So he didn't want to be, oh, the apostle apostle comes to town, and it's like this big fundraising program, and he's wanting to fund. He says, no, we're not going to do that. You just do this, and when I get there, then we won't worry about it. I'll just receive what you've prepared. Now, look at verse 3. You guys can breathe out now. We're moving on. In verse 3, he says, And when I come, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send uh, to bear your gift to Jerusalem. But if it's fitting that I go also, they will go with me. Uh, Now, um, the word gift in verse 3 is literally grace, and I like that. They will bear your, your grace. Something given freely is what that means. Uh, for by grace we have been saved, right? I mean, it is just a freely given gift. And so it wasn't given out of constraint. They weren't compelled, but it was just, 
just that free gift out of their love for God, their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. And again, so that Paul could remain above reproach regarding the finances, he says, pick out some representatives from among your congregation and they will bring the gift. They can handle the whole thing. I don't even need to touch it, you see. Uh, Now, look at verse 5. He says, Now I will come to you when I pass through Macedonia, for I am passing through Macedonia, and it may be that I will remain or even spend the winter with you, uh, that you may send me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not wish to see you now on the way, in other words, as I'm passing through, but I hope to stay uh, stay a while with you if the Lord permits. But I will tarry in Ephesus, in other words, Paul's writing this letter to them from Ephesus, until Pentecost, so he's, we kind of get the idea that he's writing in the spring, right, because you have Passover, and then 50 days later is uh, Pentecost, and then he's saying, I'm going to uh, do this little bit of traveling through the summer, and then when the fall hits, I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to stay all winter, Okay. So that's kind of what's happening there. But why is he wanting to remain in Ephesus? He says, verse 9, For a great and effective door has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Okay, a couple of things briefly. In verses 5 through 7, Paul lays out his plans, right? His, uh, his itinerant schedule, his travel intention. But I want you to notice that he's open to the Lord redirecting him. He rounds it off in verse 7 with, if the Lord permits. And what you discover when you read through the book of Acts and you kind of compare the notes, uh, things didn't happen this way at all. And that's okay. You know? Guys, it's good to have plans, to set goals and all the rest. But at the end of the day, what do we, we talk about this around here too, right? We remember that God owns the editing rights to our lives. He owns the editing rights. If he desires we go a different way than we had planned for that day, great. We belong to him. Listen, we want to be in his will. We want him to direct our steps. And if he wants to lead us in a way that perhaps we weren't thinking of that day, that's just fine. Guys, James said that it's nothing short of arrogance to presume upon a set of plans anyway. He said, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we're going to live and we're going to do this and that and such and the other thing and go to this city and stay in that place and all. And that's essentially what Paul is saying here. Remember these words? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. So Paul's just saying, look, this is what I'm thinking. I'm not sure if this is what God is thinking, uh, but I'm open to whatever he wants to do in my life. Make your plans. Set your goals but always couch them within the context of God have your way. Not my will, your will be done. Now the next thing I want you to see is found in verse 9, and that is that opportunities in the Lord will often come with adversaries. Be they physical, be they spiritual, whatever the case may be. Look at verse 9. He says, For a great and effective door has opened to me, And 
There are many adversaries. If you want the book of Acts reference to this, it's chapter 19 of the book of Acts. You see the opportunities, you see the opposition. People were being saved, man. Miracles were taking place. Uh, People whose businesses were being uh, adversely affected by the people being saved and miracles taking place, and they were the ones who were crafting. They were, uh, you know, silversmiths. They were making idols. People weren't buying them anymore. uh, And they were coming against Paul. And ultimately he would be forced. That's why things didn't go the way he was thinking because he had to jet out of town because they were going to murder him. Remember there was that giant riot and the whole Colosseum filled up and people were chanting and great is Diana goddess of the Ephesians and all of that 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 whole kind of riot took place after Paul wrote this but I've told you before Paul was a man he was a revival or a riot kind of a guy when he came to town something was going to change and sometimes both took place and that's what happened in in Ephesus but they were going to kill him and so he took off Uh, But what I want you to see here is that an open door for effective ministry doesn't always mean smooth sailing. I think sometimes we can think that. You know, it's like if God's really behind it, it's just going to go, it's just going to flow, it's just going to be something that's that's happening, that's easy, and this and that. Uh, But the truth of the matter is, God opening a door for you and and kind of uh, giving opportunity to you could mean rough waters. Opportunities aren't always accommodated by easy accomplishment. In fact, there may be many adversaries, all kinds of tough times that you kind of got to work through. Listen, you show me a man or a woman, okay, a person, who will stand uncompromisingly for the truth of the word of God, and I'll show you someone who's going to make enemies in their life. Uh, But Paul seized the opportunity, listen, so long as he could do so, what was the word? Effectively. Once his life was in jeopardy, remember Jesus instructed, look, if they persecute you in this city, flee to the next. Listen, don't develop a martyr's mentality. Paul didn't say like, you know, Come, you know, Hades or high water, I'm going to stay here, and if I have to die, I'm just going to die. He didn't do that. Listen, will some be called to lay down their lives for the gospel? Yeah, yes, they will. But you aren't sharing with anyone once you're dead. Okay? So once the opposition became too fierce, Paul wisely, he moved on. Okay? Now, look at verse... 10. He said, and if Timothy comes, see that he may be with you without fear, for he does the work of the Lord as I also do. Therefore, let no one despise him, but send him on his journey in peace, that he may come to me, for I am waiting for him uh, with the brethren. Now, you remember Paul had problems with the Corinthian Christians respecting him and his apostolic authority. And so, you know, Timothy was known to be a little more on the weak side, physically, emotionally. He had some, some uh, 
you know, physical issues he was working through and all. But Paul's worried that they're just going to chew him up and spit him out. I mean, this, I mean like, in other words, if they're treating the apostle this way, what are they going to do with this, this young guy? And uh, so he just says, listen, uh, he's about the work of the Lord, and you should respect that. I've discovered that oftentimes people don't give the same respect to younger people who are serving the Lord. But when God's using someone's life, guys, when you study through the scripture, it's not uncommon for God to snatch a young person up and use them in a mighty way. And when, when God is using someone's life, we should encourage them. We should support them. We should respect what the Lord is doing in them. That's what he's saying. He's saying, hey, guys, you need to respect uh, God's work in Timothy's life. Now, uh, verse 13, he says, watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong, and let all that you do be done with love. Guys, how many of you realize that an oak tree is nothing more than a little nut that just refused to give ground? You know, think about that. Paul is saying, stand your ground. I mean, in Jesus Christ, in the, to the Ephesians, remember he said, be strong in the Lord and having done all to stand, stand therefore, right? Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Stand your ground in Jesus Christ. Watch, be alert, be aware of the wiles of the wicked one. Don't be ignorant of your enemy's devices. Act like men. That's what he's saying when he's saying be brave. Or if you have a King James, I think it says quit you like men. In other words, act like a man. Be brave. Whatever God has called you to do, be it in this ministry, be it at home with your family, be it in your life personally, be strong. Don't quit. Finish well. Develop the stability of maturity. Does that make sense? That's what he's saying, develop the maturity or the stability of maturity. Now, that doesn't mean, guys, that you're never going to fear, that you'll never experience uncertainty, but what it means is that you're going to perform properly regardless of how you may feel emotionally. Does that make sense? Doesn't matter how I'm waxing and waning emotionally, I'm going to honor the Lord appropriately. That's maturity. And he's saying, be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And let all that you do be done with love. Now, verse 15 says, I urge you, brethren. You know the household of Stephanus, or that it is the first fruits of Achaia, uh, and that they may, uh, pardon me, and that they have devoted themselves to the ministry of the saints, that you also submit to such, and everyone who works and labors with us. He says, I'm glad about the coming of Stephanus, uh, Fortunatus, uh, Achaicus, these are the people that brought the questions that they were asking, right? 
for what was lacking on your part they supplied, for they refreshed my spirit and yours, therefore acknowledge such men. Now, where it says that they devoted them, that these guys, and I may have butchered their names, I don't know, but um, it says that they have devoted themselves to the ministry. You see that there in verse, what is that, 15? The King James, I love the way it says it, it says that they have addicted themselves to the ministry. Uh, the idea, guys, is that they never had to be asked. They didn't need to be presented with a, a need to think about or pray over. If there was an area lacking help or a need that presented itself, they were all about it. Uh, they, they didn't need, you know, they, it was just listen. And Paul says, pay attention to these kinds of men and learn from them, submit to them. In other words, it's okay, guys. We make announcements. We let you know we need six children's ministry teachers. We need four ushers. We need this. We need that. But the truth is that that's kind of a, it's kind of a merit against our account because people can see they should be observing and aware of and say, wow, there's a need there. I can fill that spot. I'm going to be about that. I'm going to serve the Lord in serving others. I've addicted myself. I've devoted myself to serving others, to the ministry, you see. And guys, it should be the normal growth and development in a believer's life. Amen. Not the exception. It's like we're super stoked when anyone catches vision and they're like, man, I'm all about it. I'm grabbing hold of the plow and this and that. But that shouldn't be the norm. It shouldn't be the exception. Now listen, we aren't saved by good works, but the Bible is clear we're saved unto good works. And that God has good works that he has prepared in advance for so we should walk in them. We're to be about blessing and building up the body of Christ. And we're gonna make our way to our close Abby, if you want to make your way up here. But look at verse 19. It says, The churches of Asia greet you. Aquila and Priscilla, you guys are familiar with them, greet you heartily in the Lord uh, with the church that is in their house. Hey, nice home church. Love that. Uh, all the brethren greet you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, this was customary. I just want you to know holy handshakes work today. It's just fine. You know, or whatever. Uh, it was kind of a cultural customary thing. Uh, verse 21, the salutation with my own hand, Paul's. And he says, if anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed or anathema. Oh Lord, come. And he says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. So this is that, you know, it was common for a, a secretary. In other words, Paul didn't write this letter himself uh, personally. Uh, it was written by kind of his would-be secretary, whoever was there. That was just common. Not to mention Paul had trouble with his eyes. But then at the end, he would take the the scroll and he would sign off on it personally so that it was verifiably him. But what I want you to notice in our conclusion is the importance of love. Do you see that? He says, love one another. If anyone does not love 
the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, my love be with you all. Love for one another. Love for Jesus. Guys, listen. You can serve the Lord. And you can do so kind of mechanically. Um, Maybe we would say legalistically. You know, it's just kind of, but it's not going to, that won't benefit you. It won't serve you. Even, even, even slightly, even remotely. This is your last little piece of homework for this letter. I want you to write it down so you can read it later. It's the first seven verses of Revelation chapter 2. Man, you can have it going on outwardly, going through all the actions. But if inwardly something is amiss, there's no love, you've left your first love. Listen. Safeguard your love relationship with Jesus. And then he says, the word is Maranatha. The Lord is coming. Or, O Lord, come. It's kind of that the Lord is coming and he who has this Hope purifies himself even as he is pure. There's an incentive, there's a motive, there's a, we need to be about, there's an urgency, the Lord's business, you see, because he's coming, he's coming quickly. Love one another. Love one another. Love one another. The Lord is coming. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the many life lessons you've encouraged us with throughout this letter. So much uh, practical kind of how-tos and why-fors of the life of the believer. And so I, I pray, God, that we would be doers of your word and not hearers only. And God, that we would be a people filled and overflowing with your love, that you might be glorified in our lives. And guys, you know, with all this talk of giving, you know, today, And it's appropriate to have a biblical understanding, you know, in every area of our lives, even if it makes us a little uncomfortable to hear about it, you know, that's just part of it. But more than anything, if you don't know the Lord, well, the only thing that God wants you to give Him is your heart. Okay? Jesus was crucified for your sin. He was buried. He rose again the third day. He defeated death and the power of the grave. Everlasting life can be yours. Just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Just give Him the unconditional surrender of your heart. And don't wait. Don't put it off another day. Just do it right here, right now. Just come before Him. Just be honest with Him. Just tell Him who you are. And look, we all know that outside of Christ in us, ain't none of us that are saints. 
We're sinners in need of grace. And for it's by grace that you will be saved through faith. And even that, not of yourself, that's the gift of God. Not going to be anything that you or I do. Not some work that we perform that we should boast in but by what he's done upon the cross and simple faith in him. So you can just say, Lord, you know, that's me. I'm, I'm that guy, that gal, you know, I'm, I'm a sinner. And I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin. I'm asking you to come into my heart, to come into my life. You know, whatever that means, I just need you to be my Lord. I need you upon the throne of of my heart to to be my Lord, my Savior, my God, you see. The one who forgives me and makes me new. And that I would live for you from this day forward. And I just want you to know, you know, we, we lead people in prayer and, and that's good it's appropriate because what is prayer but, but a conversation and you know a cry out a calling upon the Lord whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved and, and all of that but it's not the prayer that say don't, don't, ever, don't ever come to a place where you think well you know I prayed that prayer so I must be good it's not about the prayer it's about the person of Jesus Christ in your life trust in the Lord with all your heart So Lord, again, we just, we just want to uh, say thank you for your love, for your saving grace that you have so willingly and freely poured out upon us. Lord, you've given everything for us. May we give all that we are to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Why don't we rise to our feet? Ladies and gentlemen, may the Lord bless you and be with you. May His Spirit rest in power upon you as always, and may the seed of His Word uh, be blessed, broken, multiplied, that He might be glorified in your life. And if you have any need for prayer, we encourage you to come forward. We have some, some seasoned saints right here for you. I mean, we got Gina here, whose birthday it is. And uh, I mean, wow, you're, you're, like, you're, like, you're like a young spring tree. You're only like 60 now, right? Wait, what? Oh, 50-something. 50, 50 right. I jest. I jest. Come give her a birthday hug. She'd love that. Um. But guys, have a great, a great Sunday, a great week. May God be glorified in your life. Father, we thank you just again for moving and ministering. And uh, Lord, you know, we just, we're so in love with you. And we thank you that you love us. And uh, we just pray, God, that your word would have your way in us. That we not be that stony ground or that uh, thorns and weeds kind of ground or... Uh, Lord, even that the birds of the air would just snatch up what you're trying to sow, but that we would have that fertile soil bringing forth 30, 60, 100-fold fruit for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen? Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great one.